Well, I once again want to invite, uh, welcome you to First Baptist Church. So whether you are here in person or joining us through the wonders of the interweb, we are so glad to have you today. And we do trust that God will speak to you and will meet with you, meet with us in the ways that we need him today and will speak to us in clear ways. Well, uh, we are going to, we are in the middle of a series, and the middle is probably, I don't even know where we are in it anymore, but we are in a series on David, and uh, today we're going we're gonna to do something that I, I'll be honest, I don't like to do, and, and what that is, is we're going to jump to the end of the story of David's life, we're going to jump out of the linear, I'm a very linear thinker, like I like when we build on it and we get to the end, and I, I feel very fulfilled, and I start to feel a little bit jittery when we move things out of their prescribed order. Uh, but after meeting with uh, our Board of Finance and Stewardship a couple of weeks ago, it, it was decided that we probably needed to, to have a message to talk about giving. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I say that, and I know that there are some of you sitting in the sanctuary whose hearts just sunk into your stomach. Oh, giving. And I'll be honest, when, when, I, when I think about giving, I'm with you. Like, of all of the things that I speak on as a pastor, um, the, the least favorite that I speak on is, is giving. And, and I, I'll, as I was reading the passage for this week, I kind of looked through and I prayed to the Lord to, to, to guide me towards a passage that, that wouldn't be ripping things out of the context of where the series is going. So we're actually still talking about the life of David, but I prayed that God would put me onto a passage that would allow me to talk about it in, in ways that are encouraging and, and not... Uh, pushing the sense of, of guilty obligation, because that's not what we want. Uh, we, we're not trying to guilt anyone today, but we have just come through a very interesting time in our world, right? We've come through a very interesting time with, with COVID, with the shutdown, with attendance. We're still, uh, just like many, I meet with several pastors in the area, and all of us are saying we're still trying to rebuild and figure out what is what and which way is up and get things back on track. Um, but one of the things that I noticed about the passage that we're going to look at today is that David didn't seem too concerned about speaking about giving. As a matter of fact, we're going to see as we look at the passage today that David talks about giving, and for David, it's a blessing. There doesn't seem to be any obligatory, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to talk about this. I can't believe I have to ask the people to, to contribute to God's work or to be a part of it, whether it be through their skills, their talents, their treasures, or their time. David's like, hey, you get to do this. We get to do this. And so this morning, I unapologetically am going to talk to you about offering yourselves to the Lord as an offering. And part of that's going to be time and talent, but I am, yes, going to talk about money and the need to give that to the work of the Lord in the context of the local church. But the Lord knows we're going to pray first. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to his word. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, we do thank you for the privilege and honor that it is to be called your people and to be called your children and for the privilege and honor that it is to serve and to partner with you in the work that you are doing in and through this place and in the world at large. God, we want to come this morning not just to offer our voices in worship, not just to sit in a seat and, and kill time, Lord, to mark time, to to just to be encouraged, Lord, but to be challenged. Lord, we want to serve you with our lives, and we want to offer ourselves, our very bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. God, that is the desire of my heart. I pray that you would help me to have clear thoughts, 
an open heart and open mind myself even as I speak this morning. May we hear from you and the truth of your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the church I grew up in, First Baptist Elkhart, I remember it, it kind of set up in a, in a pie shape, right? It was a bigger church, and so it, it kind of came in the quasi-round, and there were like eight sections of the church that went all the way around, and the, the stage came out to a point like a piece of the pie, and, and I, we would always sit to the right of that. And, the, you know, you, you kind of get used to sitting in certain sections, whether it be here at First Baptist Church or, or at another church, you sit in the same spot. I can, I can tell by and large where you are, whether or not you've been here, because all of you sit basically in the same spot every Sunday. Now, that's been kind of mixed up coming out of the COVID thing, and I find myself looking, and I'll spot one of you somewhere like, ah, you don't belong there. And part of me, part of me internally wants to be like, hey, I'm going to need you to move three rows forward because this is really throwing off my chi today. Um, and, and I know we're not supposed to think like that, but I do. Like, I get used to things. I just like you, just like you're used to sitting in your spot. We don't have to assign those, them to you. You come in, and you all beeline for the same spots. And I can tell some of you, even if you have to sit in the wrong seat, you're kind of uncomfortable because I can see you. The seats are the same, folks, I promise. <laughs> Someone's out there going, mm, that's my seat. Anywho, but, but we... We always sat just like that in the church we went to we sat in the same spot And so you begin to notice the people around you, right? And there was this man that I always noticed when I was a kid I could not tell you for the life of me his name, but he always sat to my left We sat in this slice of pie He sat in this slice of pie and the stage was here and he always sat towards the front and it was very clear that this man was not Affluent he wasn't wealthy. He wasn't well-to-do he was, he was, as in fact, I, I would, if I were to guess, I would guess that he, if he wasn't homeless, he was very close. And, and he, had, he had some different things going on in his life, and I remember always seeing him sit there. But I remember him particularly one Sunday. The, the offering plate was passing as it's wont to do in Baptist churches. And we don't do that anymore. We got baskets in the front and the back, back you know, COVID. And, and so the, the offering plates would pass. And, and I remember this man would always put some of his money in. He had a little change purse that he would carry with him, and he would open it up, and he would take out the amount that he was going to put in, and he would put it in. And I remember this per particular Sunday, much like ours, our sanctuary here, the, the floors where you sat were hard, where the aisles were carpeted. And so as the man was trying to put his money in the plate, he dropped his coin purse, and the change went scattering everywhere. And there was no avoiding it. You could hear it, just coins rolling everywhere. It's like, oh my gosh, what is this man going to do? And, and, and he's holding the plate. The man next to him grabs the plate and tries to pass it. I'm watching this all play out in front of me. And the man grabs it and tries to pull it away from him. And the man pulls the plate back. He puts the plate down on the pew next to him. And he reaches down to the ground and he just starts scooping up all of his money and putting it in the plate. Everything. And he made him keep that plate there and he put it in there. And I heard him say, I know I dropped it on the floor. The Lord must need it more than I do. And he put this money. Big, affluent church, North Elkhart, Indiana. And here's this man who has very little, and he's giving everything, and he smiled for the rest of the service. You could not take the smile off that man's face for anything. And I remember that that was a very poignant moment for me in my young life. Because I remember I would get a dollar and my grandmother would tell me I had to put my 10 cents in, right? I had to tithe my dollar. And I was like, well, that's a bummer. You know how many, you know how many fire Jolly Ranchers you can buy with 10 cents? Well, one, but still it's one, right? And, and, and I remember that, that even as a kid, and, and I say kid, but I was probably in, you know, just preteens. I remember, I remember feeling kind of convicted. Like here's this man 
who has very little. And he offers freely and gladly. He was excited about the opportunity to offer what he had. And I remember thinking, I want to be like that. And I think about that even now. I I kind of, not that I'm against, I I give just like you all do and and we give to the church. But if I'm honest, just like you, there's a part of me that kind of, when I think about that and when I talk about giving, there's this obligatory part of me that clicks in. And I, I even begin to lament the fact that we have to talk about something like this. But you look throughout the Bible, not just in the life of David and what we're going to see today. You look throughout the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament. Jesus did not shy away from talking about money and giving and offering of ourselves. As a matter of fact, if you look through the New Testament, Jesus talks more about money than anything else. And you look at the various times where it talks about giving and offering, and, and it's, it's not done out of obligation and, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, with some attitude of, of dragging our feet. But it's always with excitement and joy that we get to give to what God is doing. Oh, that we would have that mentality in our modern, affluent age. Today I want to look at a story where we see the people of God being called to give to the work of God. And I want to see how maybe part of it might apply to us today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we're going to start in verse 1. 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1. Can we get a black screen on that? Yeah, there we go. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate you, man. It says this, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1 and following. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the word, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasure of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for his holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work that is to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers and the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, And the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly, they gave towards the work of the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, 
Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my, my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So we see this celebratory event. David, David is getting everything set to set up the temple to build the, this work. Up to this point, the temple has been in the tabernacle, this tent that was portable. And David had decided that, that it was in his heart. One of his things that he wanted to do for his whole life was to build this, this temple to his God, to his Lord. And he wanted it to be the most glorious temple, the most glorious palace in all of the world. And here we see him gathering before the assembly, getting the work ready, and inviting them to join. And I want us to look at this and consider the application that we see for our invitation here. The first thing that we see is this. Everyone is invited to join the work of God. Everyone is invited to join in the work of God. We see it as, as David begins his speech, right? It tells us that he is addressing the whole assembly. That, that word of the whole assembly is not exclusive. It is, in fact, inclusive. It means everybody that was there, everybody, all of the people of Israel were brought in. And I get that it was a very patriarchal society, but the whole family, it would have been a family event. And they were very keen on having the whole family there so they could see the importance of worshiping their God. So that they could watch the parents and grandparents modeling out this faithfulness so that hopefully it would pass down from generation to generation as time went along. So everyone is invited into the work of God. Serving the Lord is a team effort. And David is attempting to rally support for the building of this temple in Jerusalem knowing full well that the work was too big for any one man. I think this is important for us in considering the work of the church. Because we often make the mistake of thinking that one, two, three people are the hired ministers, and that's true. We are staff. We, we are employees of First Baptist Church. But understand that we are ministers of the Lord, that we work for and answer to God above and beyond all else. We follow his lead, and our task as ministers is not to do the minister for and to you. 
There are ways that we minister to you, that's true. But the primary task of a minister as a leader is to bring you along with us and to engage you in the work of the ministry. To equip you and engage you to do the work. You are not a consumer at First Baptist Church. Whether you are here in person or online, you are not called to be a consumer. The work that we do here is not a product for you to purchase. It is a calling and a vision for the worship of the Lord our God that we invite you to join with us in. And one of the great mistakes of the church in the past is thinking of this as a temple and us as the priests ministering to your needs and that being the primary thing that we do. That it is an exchange of, of products or currency, that you are paying for a product, you are pay, paying for a service. You're not. We, we are trying to keep the ministry going, and we are inviting you to join with us in the ministry. I was talking to someone the other night, and they said that a young family had visited church one time, and they had passed the plate. And the young man leaned over to this older man and said, I didn't know I had to pay to go to church. I didn't realize it cost me to go to church. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't cost you to go to church. We will never come to you. We won't stand at the door asking for your tickets and taking your money. It does, in fact, not cost you to go to church. But you know what the hard reality is? It does cost money for the church to operate. It doesn't cost you to participate and come to church. But it does cost to make church happen. Just as it always has. It costs money. David is standing up asking for money and contributions to the temple. And I would argue that he is asking for time, talents, and treasure. But, but note, a large portion of this passage is David talking about treasure. And he's asking these people, hey, come, inviting them, come and join us in this work. Come and join my son Solomon. Note that there is someone that is going to be in charge of the work. Yes, there is a point man, someone that is going to be the person that, that is, is running point, that is going to lead it all. But David knows the reality of what Solomon is stepping into, that it is too big for any one person to go, and that Solomon has weaknesses, that he is, quote, at this point in his life, young and inexperienced. Now, it's funny, isn't it? Because that's not what we think of when we think of Solomon, the wisest and richest king of Israel, so rich that other kings and queens were coming to check out his stuff. But here David says, hey, look, he's young and inexperienced. But he's saying to the assembly, hey, look, Solomon is going to lead this work. And God has given it to him. God has called him to run point on this particular operation. But it's going to take a lot of help. And we want to invite you to join in what God is doing at this point in time. We've all heard the saying, many hands makes for light work. And as the body of Christ, as the people of God, historically, from the Old Testament to New Testament, it has been a corporate effort. Christianity, the faith, has never been, been intended to be an individual sport. It has always been a communal effort. Now, there are individualistic aspects to it, but we are to come together as the body of Christ. We are to come together to serve him as his people. Now, we got to look here as we continue on. Serving the Lord starts by seeing him as Lord. Notice that Dave points that, David points that out. David notes that they are building a palatial structure for the Lord. A palatial structure for the Lord. They are building a castle, if you will, for their true king. This is interesting that we, here we are at the end of David's life and we see his understanding has not been skewed throughout the years. 
There's, in fact, only one big instance where David begins feeling himself, right? And he, he counts the people to see how many men of war he, David, has. But other than that one time of him falling off the wagon in that particular area, David does a fairly good job throughout the course of his life from beginning to end of, of understanding who the true ruler is, doesn't he? And he addresses it here. David hasn't built his own palatial structure. And he says, I want to build this palace to the Lord. You, who do you build a palace for? Well, you build a palace for the king. And David's priorities are set. David, though king, recognized that there was a greater ruler that deserved his allegiance and the honor. It's the same mindset that David had when he stepped to face Goliath. Remember, Saul was allowing it to be the people of Saul. Saul's kingdom, Saul's servants, the armies of Israel, and David steps to Goliath, as we saw last week, and David says, hey, you're insulting not the armies of Israel, but the armies of the Lord God. And this, this Philistine is defying the Lord God. David understood that it was bigger than him, that it was not about him and his glory and his greatness, but about the greatness of his God, that he, the Lord God, was the true king of Israel, the true ruler of their hearts. It was God that deserved their obedience and allegiance. Paul emphasizes this truth for us in the New Testament, doesn't he? We see it in Romans 10, 9 where Paul says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We come back to this early and often, and I don't apologize for that because I want us to understand clearly and without question who we are doing what we are doing for. It's a reminder for me just as much as it is a reminder for, for us as the people of God because it's so easy for us to get it twisted. What we do here as First Baptist Church, what we are putting our effort into is not to build a, a palatial monument to our own greatness or our own grandeur. We're not building these, these things so that we can say what a great people we were back when, but to say look how faithful our God is and to serve him in the best ways we can. Brothers and sisters, we will struggle to see the value and importance to contributing to the work of the Lord if we fail to recognize him as Lord. If, God is just, if God's favor is a product that we buy, if our walk with the Lord is just a perfunctory task, meaning a, an obligation that we are trying to check off to make ourselves feel better, we will always struggle to give and to get behind what God is doing and to volunteer and, and to sacrifice of ourselves to serve the Lord because it will always be of lesser importance than the greater gods in our lives. We will struggle to see the value and importance of contributing time, talent, and energy to the work of the Lord if we fail to recognize him as Lord. Notice David, though. David demonstrates the importance of the work by freely offering what he was able. Verses 2 through 5, you can go back and look at it again. I'm not going to read it because it tongue-tied me just a minute ago. But David offers up a bunch of stuff, doesn't he? David up is bankrolling this operation on his own on the front end fairly significantly. David offers up his talents first. Let's not miss this. David offers up his talents. Notice that at this point, David could have just left it. We're going to see in a minute that David's heart, David's desire, David's vision was to build the temple himself. He wanted to do it, and God says, no, your son Solomon's going to do it. But even still, David is doing what he can while he can. So David is using his organizational experience and abilities to set things up so that his son will be successful when he ultimately takes over as king. He's offering up his talents 
as an experienced manager and leader. We can go back a little bit and we can see that even further that David had done a lot more than just ask the people for some money. With God's help, David developed, it was David who developed the floor plan for the temple. David is the one who purchased the land on which the temple would ultimately be built. Interestingly enough, the purchase of the land for the temple happened after David failed his one time to recognize God as king and did the counting and, and God sent a pestilence and the people were dying. And David goes and he, he's going to give a sacrifice. The Lord says, I'm going to stop the, the, the pestilence, offer a sacrifice here. And so David goes to buy the land. The man says, no, I'll give it to you. David said, I can't offer to my God something that costs me nothing. David buys the land, offers the sacrifice, and, and decides that's where the temple is going to be. But David had purchased and planned out the land where the temple would be. David created the list of various vessels that would be needed to do the important work that would be done in the temple. David set all of this up, put it all into motion, put the plan into place, and was able to hand that off to his son Solomon. But notice that David also offers up his treasures. Now again, I'm not going to read it, but we know that at the end it says that David offered 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. Modern measurements estimate that to be somewhere around 110 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver. In modern terms, that is billions of dollars in resources. Billions of dollars in resources. David is handing his fortune Putting it, putting it in the hands of the priests for the work of the Lord. And he's happy about it. Now we can note that, that so we've, got, we've got talent and we've got treasure. Unfortunately for David, he wasn't going to be able to offer his time in the way that he wanted to. But note, we can look back and know that he did want to. First Chronicles 28.3, we, we see that it was David's dream to build the temple. That, that it was his hope to put this temple together. But it says this in First. Um, Chronicles 28.3, but God said to me, David, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. And that's saying two things. David was, in fact, a king of war, right? He's the one that, that brought the kingdom of Israel together, and he constantly was going out to battle, and he was good at his job. That man was an instrument of death. From, from slinging, we, I know we don't think about that with David, the little guy slinging the stone, it's cute, right? But understand that cute boy with the sling stone put a rock right in the center of forehead of a grown man's head and dropped him to the ground, then went and cut his head off. It's not a cute little boy anymore, is it? And we know that David ultimately learned how to, to use a sword and went around and used it well. But not only that, David was a warrior and shed blood. We, we know that David had guilty blood on his hands as well. Not blood that was a, by virtue of wars that was a necessity of leading a people, but David had, had sent the, the Bathsheba's husband off to war and had him killed. David was guilty of shedding innocent blood. And God says, hey, sorry, David, but this isn't your thing. You're, you don't get to build the temple. We can know, knowing David, right, we can guess that David had every, every intention of swinging a hammer on that thing. He was going to play a part in building the actual structure. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this. Many of us today, if we can't do what we want to do, then we don't want to do anything. If we're not going to do it my way and what I think is the best, then we want to pull ourselves back. 
We'll pout and pull to the back. Full disclosure, that's not me throwing stones necessarily at anybody in the room. I, I am that way too. If I don't get my way, there's a part of me where I very, very hard have to think, okay, don't be a baby, Jeremy. Act like a grown-up. And if we're honest, I think many of us have that. That there are times where we need that reminder internally that, hey, I am a, a grown-up. I need to act as such. I'm playing in a team event here. I'm working with other people, which means I'm not always going to get my way the way I want it. And that's certainly true with the Lord. God is not always going to give us what we want the way that we want it. We take that passage in Psalms where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of our heart. And, and we take that passage and we twist it to death. That doesn't mean that if you follow the Lord, he's going to give you everything that you ever wanted. I've always wanted a Lamborghini. I'm doubting that that's ever going to happen. But sometimes that's how we think of the Lord. You know what that passage means? If we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, we are delighting ourselves in doing what he's asked. It, when, when our primary goal is to follow the Lord and to focus on his will and to serve him in every avenue and area of our lives, you know what's going to happen? We, he's going to let us do it. And when the Lord is our desires, we are going to find the delights of our heart because God is going to continue to give us more of his presence, more of himself. We will be delighted because the Lord is that which delights us. We, think this, we tend to think of it as being transactional, that if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me this other thing that I really love. That may be true, but understand that's bonus. The delight should be, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Come hell or high water, no matter what situations arise in my life, I am going to delight myself in the Lord. Therefore, my circumstances are just that, circumstantial, because my delight is in the Lord. David would never personally see the, 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 the completion of the temple. He would never personally benefit from its ministry. But still, he gives gladly and generously to the Lord. Investing and engaging in the work of the Lord shouldn't be primarily about what we get in return. It should be make, about making his glory and goodness known. It should be about creating opportunities for people to experience his presence and salvation through our efforts. David was not building a temple to show how great he was, but to show how great his God was. David wasn't building a temple so that he could be ministered to, but he was building a temple so that God could minister to the people of the earth, to his people. Is that our desire? Do we understand that when, when we're called to partner in the work of the Lord, that we are doing this work for the Lord, for his glory, and for his good? And yes, we do benefit from it, but our own benefit and blessing should not be of primary importance. Time, talent, and treasure, all three are needed for the work of the Lord to happen. And we should see it as the people of God does do, do in this passage as a privilege that we get to engage in it, not an obligation that we have to do begrudgingly. And David goes further as he continues on and he notes that everything that we have and everything that we are should be devoted to God's service. And service to the Lord must come from grateful hearts and willing hands. No, look, at verse, look at the end of verse 5. David poses the question. He says what's going on. He offers the invitation. He says a little bit of what he's done. And then he says this at the end of verse 5. Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Who's game? Who's in? Who wants to be a part of this? Who, who wants to join me? 
Now, let's remember something. This is King David, right? King David did not have to ask them for anything. As king, he could have just imposed a tax to fit the bill and force the people to pay for it with their treasures. Hey, this is what we're doing. We as a people are building. We are the people of God. We're building the temple of God. You are going to give your part, and this is what it is. Give me the money. And then if they didn't give it, remember that sword thing we talked about? As king, David could have gone further. Not just, not just the money side of it, the treasures, but David could have created a labor program that forced the people to offer their time and talents. The fact is that Solomon, David's son, does go off the rails, and he, he does force the people to do the work. He conscripts them. But David doesn't do that. In verse 5, he says, Who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Now, the word translated consecrate is the same word in the Old Testament that is used for the ordination of priests. It means to purify oneself and to be prepared for service. The word literally means who is ready to fill their hands to the Lord. Who's ready to fill their hands to the Lord? Who's who's ready to get their hands dirty, to, to fill their hands to the Lord with what they have to offer? Is that not what a priest did? They cleansed their hands so that they could serve the people and serve the Lord with their hands. To offer to the Lord and to the people from their hands which, that which was being offered in worship. And he asked the people, who, who's ready to consecrate themselves? Who wants to join me in this? Who wants to, to fill their hands to the Lord today? And the text tells us that David's actions and words inspired the leaders to jump in. Verse 9, it says... The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king rejoiced greatly also. You can look back and you can see the talents and the billions of dollars in gold and silver and precious stones that the people give. The people respond, and they do so with gladness. There's no no grumbling of the people after the service out back saying, can you believe that David just asked us for that? I mean, after all I've done for this country, now, understand this, because we, we want to talk about tithing, right? The 10%. Understand that this was above and beyond the 10% the people had already given for the temple, for, for, for worship. That 10% was what they gave in worship. It, it was prescribed that they already did. What they are giving here is not a 10% gift that they just had planned out. This is above and beyond. This is sacrificial giving that they are giving to the work of the Lord. And they are doing so gladly, with glad and willing hearts. You know, you know what, when, when we come and, and I have to ask for giving, I, I refuse to any longer feel guilty about asking you to give to the work of the Lord. I'm not going to do it. And you should refuse to be insulted when I talk to you about giving to the work of the Lord. Because it's a privilege. If you, if you aren't able to give financially, that's fine. Do you have time? The fact is that right now, coming out of COVID, the church is, is in a hard spot. I'm not going to lie to you. We are behind in budget. Significantly. Now, we we don't know why all that is, but we know that that attendance trends have been differently. We haven't been passing the plate. and, and And we understand that people's realities are different coming out of COVID. People's job situations are uncertain. And that, that there's a lot of things that go into that. But understand that it's not just money that we're short on right now. 
We're short on volunteers. We're getting ready to, to drive back into to Sunday school and into more children's ministries. And I, I'm just going to tell you that what's coming, what you see in the halls is indicating some big things that are coming in children's ministry. There's a whole plan that's coming out. And we're going to need volunteers that are going to say, I will offer my time and talents to serve the Lord in this way. We, we need you. And I'm going to invite you to be a part of what God is doing. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to push you. If you don't want to give, don't give. Remember, I just said it a minute ago. Giving should be done. Service to the Lord must come from grateful hearts and willing hands. And I pray that the Lord will instill that, that willingness, that willing heart in us to both give of, of our time, talents, and our, and our treasures. But I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just letting you know these great things are happening. Great things have been happening through this church throughout COVID. The ministry didn't stop. We, we may have been doing our services differently, but we were still doing ministry. There were still people being fed through the kitchen down at the other end. There were still groups meeting through digital formats and then ultimately coming together through digital and in-person formats. We were still trying to, to feed people in the community, to reach out, to minister to needs, to help in, in all the different ways that were going on. Go back and look through your Facebook feeds. You'll see all of the different ways that we were trying to push the church forward. But now we're coming back to the reality of how ministry has worked in the past, and we need you to jump in with us. Romans 12, 1 through 2, it tells us that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if we are to offer our very selves, that the wallets that we carry around with ourselves would be a part of that? That, that the, the, the resources of our time, our talent, and our treasures would be a part of that offering of our whole selves? If, you're, if your very body is what God is asking for, that it only stands the reason that everything else would follow. And if we understand this next point, it would. And David points out that everything that we have is a gift from God. Giving to the Lord is a gift because the things that we have are gifts from his hand. Look at verses 10 and following. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hand are power and strength to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, God, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hands. That's true for us, too. Everything we offer from the Lord, whether it be our our, our talents and our gifts and abilities of, of who we are as people that, that have developed over the years that God has placed within us. That is a gift of God, the God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, that created us with purpose and intent. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's not just to save you, but to use you for, for spreading the message of salvation to the world. Everything we have, those gifts, the, the, the physical resources that we earn through those gifts. It's a gift from God. You know, there's a time to recognize 
the good gifts and the things that people have done in the past. But, but so often I think we want to focus on that. We want to focus on being recognized for the good thing that we've done. It's much like Michaela. She just got some great gifts from you, and we thank you all as a church and our family. And, and Michaela, we still at the Myers household believe in the convention of thank you cards. And so Michaela's been writing thank you cards and sending them out or handing them out. So if you haven't gotten one yet, it's coming, I promise. But we do that. But, but sometimes we apply that convention to God. And, and we think that God is, God is obliged, God is obliged to, to thank us for our contri- contribution to his work. David doesn't seem to think that. Rather than David saying, okay, God, I'm waiting for your thank you, waiting for your blessing, David said, no, 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 I'm going to thank you, God, because even the act of giving, the act of being a part of your work is a gift from your hands. I could give nothing had you not given to me in the first place. David recognizes an important truth, all that we have and all that we are is a gift of God's grace. Giving to his work is not a responsibility, but an honor and a grace from the Lord. And then David points out something else that we need to understand. He says, I know, my God, that you test the hearts and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. What you give to the church, I want you to know, I don't know what you give. I don't care what you give. I care if you give. (laughs) And that's not about me. That's about being faithful to the work of the Lord. Being a part of the church that God has placed you in, that you've decided to partner with. It is important. And notice that David, we would would say that David gets a little judgy. Because David says God tests the heart. And he wants things given with integrity. That God is pleased with integrity. And then he talks about what he's given. The ways we steward our resources, time, talent, and treasures demonstrates the orientation of our hearts. That, that's, a, that's, that's not just a church thing. You can talk in, in pu- the public sector. They'll tell you, show me your checkbook, and I'll show you where your priorities are. Show me your checkbook. I'll show you what you love. Show me where you're spending your time. I'll, I'll show you what's important to you. Show me where you're investing yourself. I'll show you what matters truly most to you. God tests the heart. No one understood that better than David. Our character can and must impact our actions. It's not about appearances, but proper application of truth. David being a good guy and having a good heart wouldn't have mattered historically, would it? What ultimately mattered where where the rubber hit the road was when David took that good heart that God recognized in him and he applied it to the work and the service that God had placed before him. It's not about the resources we have, but about the way that we use them. Brothers and sisters, we are still in the business of temple building. And understand what I'm talking about is not the structure. You see a lot of great things that are happening up the hall with the decorations of what's going on, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, why are you talking about the need to give to the church when we're spending all this money on carpet? Well, here's the thing. The money for the carpet and the money for the paint is already in the bank. You as a church gave money to the legacy fund years ago before I even got here. It was closing up when I got here. So that money is in the bank, and we can only use it for that. For upgrading and updating the facilities, that money is there. We can't go pull from that money to to pay our pastors, to, to pay the electric bill, to pay for the heating and air conditioning that you all love so much. And I know that you love it because when it's not here, you let me know. But we're still in the business of temple building. 
But this is not the temple. This is a facility that facilitates us building the temple because we are the temple. Your bodies, our bodies, our, our personages that go out into the community are the temple of the Lord. The temple was never truly about the building, but about the presence of God with the people and through the people to impact the human hearts in which he dwells. That work still takes the investment and involvement for the people of God. That has not changed. We need the people of God here at First Baptist Church to step up with boldness and grace to make sure that the work of God continues to happen through this assembly. We need the people to step out and serve as volunteers so we can continue to serve the people of this church and our broader community with the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the king of our hearts. We need people to continue to return to church physically, to sit in these various seats so that we can connect with one another and grow with one another in worship as we serve the Lord together. We need people to give financially with glad and grateful hearts to assure that the ministry continues to keep happening and growing to the glory of the Lord our God for the salvation of our world. And so like David, I ask you this morning, who will consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Who will consecrate themselves to the Lord today? We all have something to offer in the service of our Lord. We all have a part to play in making God's known, name known, his presence felt, and outworking his plan in this world today. Our offerings, financial, yes, but also physical and social are necessary contributions for the ultimate success of the world. So I ask you one more time, who will consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. God, I thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. I thank you for the calling that you've placed upon our hearts. Pray that you would continue to speak to us as we come to you in worship, as we remember your great sacrifice to, uh, to us through Jesus. I pray that you would inspire in us the will to sacrifice to you in return. Speak to us in these moments and bless these elements in Jesus' name. Amen. As you walked in this morning, you should have received a cup, or two cups rather, that have the bread in the cup. If you haven't received one, would you please raise your hand so that our deacons can bring you one? Just keep it up there. We're sorry about that. We are still working on our post-COVID protocols. Uh, during COVID, everybody was entering through the back door, and now we have all the doors open. And so we didn't realize that we'd opened that bag of cats until it had already happened, and the deacon chair came running up to me and saying, hey... So we may have messed this up. So we do apologize to you for the lack of order. We are, in fact, trying to figure this mess out. Um, but if you didn't, again, if you didn't grab one yet, hand up. Anybody still missing one? We got one down here in the front. See that hand? See that hand? You know, that could have looked like a really cool altar call if I'd have made you come to the front. See that hand? See that hand? <laughs> Well, this morning we have the privilege and honor of remembering the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How appropriate on the morning that we talk about offering ourselves as living sacrifices and the joy of offering ourselves to the Lord, that we remember the sacrifice that sets the standard for what we ourselves offer. You go ahead and open the top cup, which would be the one with the bread. The Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
that he took bread. And when he'd given thanks for it, the scriptures tell us that he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take it as often as you do in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. Split the cup. Scripture goes on to tell us that in the same way, Christ took the bread, or the, the cup, and he offered it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it as often as you do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray in thanksgiving for the Lord's gifts to us this morning? Father God, we thank you so much for these gifts of your grace, for your broken body and your shed blood, your great sacrifice that demonstrates your great love for us. Father God, may we take to heart the truth of your sacrifice. May we remember your love. May we be inspired to follow and offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you as well. God, we thank you for your grace. We pray that you'd make us gracious. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray that you would give us faith and make us faithful. God, speak and move in our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.